Well, as we mentioned at the start of our service, we're going to uh, be turning our focus this year to consider the one in the manger. Uh, And obviously that's not a a new focus for this year's Advent, uh, but it's certainly not a focus we can ever exhaust or should ever tire of as we we turn our gaze specifically and intentionally to Jesus. Any opportunity to think on him, to reflect on him will be profitable. Uh, And throughout this short series in December, we're going to be looking at various passages at the beginning of the Gospels. This morning, we're going to start by considering the reality that the coming of Jesus over 2,000 years ago in a manger in Bethlehem was in no way accidental. Uh, Rather, it was in the complete and total fulfillment of the promises that had been made. He is the promised one. Now, for those of you who have journeyed with us since September, we're coming off the back of 13 sessions in Joshua where all we've done is talk about promises. Um, And I think it is good that we are now... Uh, moving into this season of Advent with the reality of God's promise ringing true in our minds too. God is the one who keeps his promises. He was faithful to his people in Joshua's day, in Moses' day, back in Abraham's day. He is faithful to his people now. And certainly we see that truth, the truth that God's words are unbreakable. We see that amplified through the first Christmas account that we see in Scripture. And so what I want us to do this morning is is to, to enjoy the reality that God knew that Christmas would happen. He knew how it would happen, he knew where it would happen, and he knew why it needed to happen. Indeed, he promised all of those things and more to his people throughout the centuries. And then in the manger, we see those promises fulfilled. Not just alluded to, not just suggested, but completely fulfilled in the manger. God's words are unbreakable, and so he fulfills his promises totally. He doesn't leave any loose ends. We see in Jesus the complete fulfillment of all of God's promises. Indeed, all of God's words are yes and amen in him. And so let's take a look into the Gospel of Matthew is where we're going to start. And we're going to see this focus on uh, Christ's coming, Jesus' coming as the promised one. Uh, And if we take Matthew's Gospel and, and stand back from it and see the whole 28 chapters, a common theme throughout Matthew's Gospel is how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament promises of the Messiah. It's clearly something Matthew wanted to get across. And so as he writes his gospel under the inspiration of the Spirit, of course, these are God's words to us. Um, But particularly Matthew goes to great pains to show how Jesus fulfilled everything that was written about the the Messiah in the Jewish scriptures. He's writing primarily to a Jewish audience of his day. But of course, these timeless and eternal words of God show us that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that was written beforehand. And we see that right from the opening of the book. If you have a copy of God's Word with you or grab one of the the red uh, chair Bibles around you and open it to Matthew's Gospel, the first book of the New Testament. And we see right from the first 17 verses of his Gospel that that Matthew is keen to show Jesus is the fulfillment. Indeed, the very first line is, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then we see 17 verses. We looked at these, by the way, in a bit more detail back in 2019. I'm sure you remember it. Um, where we think that, well, these, this is a list of names that we can very easily skip over. Um, but the importance and the significance of these names is to show that Jesus is the one who was promised. And now he's here. And so Matthew lays out this genealogy and concludes in verse 16 and 17. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. This is who he is. And this is the line he's from. Then verse 17, thus there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah, Jesus. 
And from there, Matthew now shows his whole, takes his whole gospel to show this is who he is, and this is what you must do with him, if he is the Messiah indeed. And from the end of verse 17, we move into verse 18, where we, we turn now to see the, the narrative of Jesus' birth. And we're going to focus this morning on chapter 1 and 2 of Matthew. And we're actually, I would love us to read now from verse 1, uh, sorry, verse 18 of chapter 1 through to the end of chapter 2. Because there's lots of detail that we could look at. But when we see that big picture, as we've done through Joshua, we can see the repetition that Matthew is going to great lengths to show that Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the one who it was written about. Jesus is the Messiah. We must respond to him. And so I'd love us to read together Matthew 1, verse 18, and then all the way through to the end of chapter 2. So Matthew 1, 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard that he heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what, was, what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice in the, is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream 
appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life were dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled through what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Let's pray together as we turn to God's word. Father, thank you for your word. And we pray that you would indeed speak to us um, at this time as we engage in your word now. But Father, throughout Advent, may you continue to speak to us as we prepare to celebrate the coming of Jesus. We praise you for him and we pray that you would teach us of him this morning. In your wonderful name we ask. Amen. So in this chapter and a half, indeed in all the first two chapters, we see at least six references to how Jesus' birth was in some way fulfilling the promises that God had made. The words that he had spoken, that God had spoken to the prophets long ago. You can see them. Oh, you can see them on the screen. Yeah. Um, and you can see them. It starts right in chapter 1 with the genealogy, those first 17 verses, which obviously encompasses so much of the Old Testament history. Then in, in chapter 1 is the angel is speaking to Joseph. We see Isaiah 7 being quoted there in terms of this, the one will have, uh, that he will have the virgin birth. Then in chapter 2, the chief priests and the teachers of the law explain to Herod that Bethlehem will be the birthplace of the Messiah. And then whenever Joseph is told in a dream again to go to Egypt, that is so that it could be fulfilled what is said in Hosea chapter 11, that out of Egypt I called my son. Then the, the terrible uh, actions of Herod as he then seems to wipe out um, anyone, any boy under the age of two in Bethlehem in the region. That, that was prophesied again in Jeremiah 31 where Rachel is weeping for her lost children. And then the final verse that we read um, where we see the prophets in general spoken that he, the Messiah, would be called a Nazarene. And so Matthew clearly shows how these promises, they, they are all what God had said centuries before Jesus came to walk the earth. The, the, the one sent from God, the anointed one, which is what Messiah means, the anointed one, the, all of these promises are now fulfilled in Jesus. And so for our time this morning, I'm going to suggest that we summarize these six promises into three main categories. The promise of who, the promise of where, the promise of why. Who is this baby, the identity of the baby in the manger? Where, the locations that this baby spends his early life, and why, the reason for the baby to come. And so firstly, let's think of who. Uh, Matthew g drills down into the significance of who Jesus is in a couple of occasions when he records uh, a number of factors. Firstly, the genealogy, which we've already talked about, and that is important because it shows that Jesus is in the line of David. And we know from 2 Samuel 7 in the Old Testament that God promised King David that, the, the, that uh, a descendant from your family will reign on the eternal throne. And so for generations, the, the Jewish people have been expecting a Messiah, knowing that he would come from the line of David. And so this title, the son of David, which the angel addresses Joseph with, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. That title, son of David, is used throughout the Gospels to explain who Jesus is. It's another kind of pseudonym for Messiah. You're the one of the line of David, the one we've been waiting for. And so the baby in the manger is the long-awaited Messiah. And then when we move through the narrative and, and Joseph is then encountered by the angel in chapter 1 verse, and we'll pick it up in verse 20, 
that Joseph is considering uh, divorcing Mary quietly, but then the angel appears to him, and we enter this narrative, and, and the angel assures Joseph that Mary has been faithful, that Mary is truthful, that it is indeed God who has brought about this pregnancy. And then in verse 22 and 23, we read, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so this quotation from Isaiah 7, chapter 4, you may well remember it from carol services that you've been at through your whole life. It's incredibly significant. This quotation from Isaiah is Mary's experience. Mary is the virgin who will give birth to a child. Joseph didn't or couldn't believe it when Mary tried to explain that to him, and I guess we could understand why, but when the angel comes and explains that this is indeed God's child, that this is the fulfillment of the promise from about 700 years before, then he does believe out of all of human history, he is the one, the carpenter of Nazareth, he is the one who's going to help raise the Son of God. And so the point is clear, that God promised the miraculous conception through Isaiah's prophecy, and now the baby in the manger is the fulfillment of it. And this is certainly no ordinary baby, is it? He will be, in the words of Isaiah, God with us. They will call him Emmanuel. We'll, we'll unpack, that, unpack this more next week when we consider him as the divine one. But for now, let's appreciate that God, Jesus is God in human flesh. The vulnerable baby in the manger is God come to us. This is the miracle of Christmas. And so who's the baby in the manger? He's the one born of the virgin, the one in the line of David, the one born in flesh yet fully divine. He is the Messiah. That is who he is. Well, what about where? Let's think about the locations that are mentioned in, in Matthew's, Matthew 1 and 2. We're given quite a lot of geographical detail here, actually, and in these early episodes. But particularly if we focus in on chapter 2, Herod hears the word from the Magi, that they have come to find the one who's been born king of the Jews. And Herod, not a nice guy. Herod decides he needs to find out where this baby is and wipe him out because he is a threat to Herod's kingship and kingdom. And so then Herod calls the, the, the chief priests and the teachers of the law to ask them where the Messiah was to be born. Interesting that even Herod recognizes there might be something in this call from the Magi. Where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. And why do they know that? The end of verse 5, for this is what the, the prophet had written. And so we know where the Messiah is coming because we've been told it. And then they quote Micah chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so once again, we're given with the gift of hindsight. It's clear the plan has been set Bethlehem, the town of David, is the place where God with us would come. And so that's one location that we know of. Bethlehem is the place where this is going to happen, where the king would come, where the Messiah would be born. But then we're given a couple of other locations. If we skip down to verse 13 of chapter 2, we see Egypt coming to play. When an angel again appears to Joseph, says, get up, take the child, escape to Egypt. And the reason why that is happening is so that it can be fulfilled, as we see from verse 15, out of Egypt I called my son. This quotation taken from Hosea chapter 11. And so Joseph gathers Mary and the baby in the middle of the night, we're told, in a hurry and makes this journey. And it's not going to be an easy journey. It's about 90 miles or so south from where they are in Bethlehem. But they do it. And so this is another fulfillment of the prophecy that can be said. 
that Jesus is the one, yes, born in Bethlehem, yes, spent time in Egypt and came out of there. So promise fulfilled, Bethlehem, check, Egypt, check. And finally then one more reference made to Nazareth. This is Joseph's hometown, but whenever they are told that it's safe now to go back, when Joseph is told in a dream yet again, it's safe to go back, then they make their way, not wanting to go back to Bethlehem, knowing that Herod, it's still dangerous. His, his, his fingerprints are still all over the place, even though his son is now ruling. And so they don't go to Bethlehem, they go to Nazareth. And the reason for that is, again, verse 23 of chapter 2, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. And so promises fulfilled in Bethlehem, fulfilled in Egypt, fulfilled in Nazareth. The locations of the baby are all promised in the past and they're all fulfilled in Jesus. And so these details that we may skip over, they are important because all of this is building credence to what we've already seen about who this baby is. This baby is the one fulfilling every promise and it's as if the evidence is mounting and mounting before our eyes. His identity is the one who was promised. And where he has spent time was promised, there, there can be no doubt. This baby in the manger is the one who was promised, the Messiah that was to come. And so finally then, let's consider the why. The reason why this baby must come, and this may well be the most important lesson for us to learn. And we've seen elements throughout, even speaking of the Messiah shows us why he was to come. The one who would be sent from God, the one who would come to redeem and to rescue but rather than just relying on that title and for us to understand what is incorporated within that title, it's made abundantly clear to us, isn't it? We're specifically told, if we skip back again to chapter 1, we see as the angel comes to Joseph, he even tells Joseph what this baby is to be called, and in his name is his mission. And so chapter 1, verse 21, she, speaking of Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus will save, therefore, call him Jesus. And why is that important? Well, in, in a Jewish culture where names carried great meaning, the name Jesus, which is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, just in case you wanted another link to our, past, our previous series, which means Joshua means the Lord saves. So Jesus is coming to save so call him the Lord saves. That is who he is. It's what he's here for. That is the purpose for him to be here. His name carries his mission. And so he, we are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so this reason for, for the baby to come is clear. But this reason also forces us to recognize in the first place that we need, we need a savior. We can't grasp the wonder of the promise of a savior being fulfilled if we don't recognize we need one. Otherwise, that's just abstract. That's just something for someone else. That's something that happened a long time ago. No, but we need a savior. I heard someone encouraging to, uh, others in, in preparing their hearts for Advent, and, and this person said this, meditate on the fact that we need a savior. Christmas is an indictment before it becomes a delight. If you don't need a savior, you don't need Christmas, this person said. Christmas will not have its intended effect until we, we feel desperately the need for a savior. If you don't need a savior, you don't need Christmas. It's not challenging, but it's true. If we don't need a savior, then why would Jesus have to come? 
Why would he be coming as the Savior, the one who, the, who will save us from our sins? That's his name. The Lord saves. Well, what do we need saved from? Well, goodness, we need a Savior. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what the whole storyline of Scripture is about. See, as we'll celebrate in a few moments as we gather around the communion table, Jesus came in order to take the penalty of sin. That's what the angel was talking about. Jesus can save, he can rescue from sin because he came to take the penalty that sin deserves. See, sin is, is an offense against the holy God and it infects every human heart. And the punishment for sin is death, eternal death, separation from God forever in a place of unimaginable sorrow that the Bible calls hell. That, 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 that's where we're all destined for because of sin. That's what we need saved from. And that's why God sent the Savior. God sent Jesus into the world to save us from it. It would, it would cost him his earthly life. It would, it would mean he had to step down from the glory of heaven to walk in this world for a time. But the gospel shows that because of his unfading love for us, he gladly did it. Knowing that it was only because of his sacrifice and only through his sacrifice that people could be saved from their sins. So he does it for us. And therefore, for all who come to faith in Jesus, believing that he is the baby in the manger, the promised one, the Messiah, the savior of the world, then belief in him means that we can be granted forgiveness from sin, that that charge sheet against us is wiped clean. Our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And so our sins are taken from us and Christ's holy perfection is granted to us. And that means that rather than an eternal separation from the holy God, rather we receive an eternal welcome by him. This is the saving work that Jesus came to accomplish. It's the promise he came to fulfill. And as we read through the rest of the gospel account, we see that he did it. It's why he cried from the cross, it is finished, it is done Promise fulfilled, salvation secure. And so as we gaze at the manger once again, we see the reason why he came. This vulnerable baby is the savior of the world. And so this morning, can, can we, can you say that he is not just the savior of the world, but he is my savior? I pray that you can. I pray that you see your need for a savior and the reality that one has been given for you. Come to him this morning if you don't know him yet. Repent, turn from sin and turn to the loving embrace of the one who died to take the penalty for you. And as you do so, we see the incomparable joy that is offered by the one in the manger. He is the one that we're preparing ourselves for this Advent season. He is the promised one. He is the one whose identity is clear. He is the one born of the virgin the one of the line of David, the one who is God with us, the promised Messiah. He's the one whose locations were known, the where has been fulfilled. And all of that was so that we would recognize him for who he truly is. The one born in Bethlehem, the one who would come out of Egypt, the one who would come from Nazareth. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah, the one who was promised. And, and all of this is so significant because it fulfills everything that was promised and therefore, every claim that he made about being who he truly is, the savior of the world, the son of God, the one who came with the clear purpose of saving people from sin. 
and the one who would give himself up so that we would know forgiveness, we would know life in him. And so this year, as you enjoy Christmas cards and carols and comparing your lights with your neighbors, as you do engage in all of that, may we see once again the joy that is on offer for us as we gaze at the one in the manger. And we see who he is, that he is the one, the promised one, who came to save us from our sin. That is good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And therefore, recognizing, just like we said when we talked through Joshua, recognizing the fulfillment of all of these promises, we must then go and do something. I wonder, did you notice as we read through chapters 1 and 2 of Matthew, how Joseph, often overlooked, I think, unfairly so, in how he responds to God's leading. At least three times he gets a dream and then goes. So, did you see that in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 24? When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded. In chapter 2, verse 14, after, this, after the angel appears in a dream to say, take him to Egypt, so he got up. And then again in verse 21 of chapter 2, another angel appeared, or an angel appears in another dream and says, so he got up, verse 21, took the child and his mother. Joseph knew the fulfillment of the promise of God and he acted as such. He acted on that faith and trust. He acted in the assurance. It wasn't blind faith that I hope God comes through on his promise. No, God is coming through on his promise because he's always faithful to his promise. Therefore, I can act in full freedom and, and complete obedience knowing that this will come to be. And so as we consider the promises that Jesus fulfilled as coming in the manger and living the life for us, let's also appreciate that there are promises that he made that are yet to be fully fulfilled. He has promised that he will come again. He has promised that he will empower his people to follow him and live a life of faithful, fruitful obedience for him. So let's be people who live like that. Live with an expectation that this place is not our home. Live with a confident assurance that for those who trust in Jesus, our home is in heaven. And so let's prioritize that. Let's seek first the kingdom of God. Should we just keep singing childhood courses? Let's seek him first above all else. Recognizing that he is faithful to his promise. He is indeed the promised one. He has come and he will come again. And this is great news for his people. So let's live in the joy of that, in the boldness that that gives to share his good news with those who still need to hear it. And may it all, as we often say, be for his glory alone. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reality that Christmas shows us that you knew our need for a Savior and you, by your grace and your mercy, and because of your love and your supreme holiness, you made a way for salvation to be known, and that way is Jesus. And so we thank you, Father, for sending him, the promised one, the one who you made known to your people for centuries before, and then the one who came in complete fulfillment of every promise that you made in the manger in Bethlehem. We thank you, Father. I pray, God, that this Christmas season, we would properly gaze at you. We would see the wonder, the holiness, the power, the majesty, Father, that we wouldn't domesticate the manger scene. But Lord, in seeing you and in gazing at you, we would see the wonder of love come down. 
The wonder of the one who left the glory of heaven, who took on flesh and dwelt among us so that he would bring salvation. And so would you speak to us profoundly, we pray, through this Advent season, that we would know the joy of you, the promised one, the one who was to come to save us from our sins. And Father, that we, if we don't know you yet as our Savior, we would come to see you for who you truly are. And Lord, for those who do know you as our Savior, you would, you would captivate our hearts once again, but with the joy of our salvation. We thank you, Father, for this Christmas season. We thank you for the gift of Jesus, for the light of the world, for the baby in the manger, the one who was promised, who fulfilled everything that was said about the Messiah. And so we thank you, Father. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.